Over the last few weeks, if you've been here, except for last week when Alan uh, preached, the, the previous weeks before that, I preached a series of messages out of the book of Daniel on um, surviving Babylon. How do you react to a godless culture? And as I was sitting there last night, I couldn't help but think of all the things that have been happening. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is this. We're going to take specific issues, most of them, if not all of them, very controversial. And we're going to ask the question, how do we as believers, as followers in Jesus Christ in this culture respond to those issues? And today we're going to speak about a particular issue that in my 14 years of ministry, in August I'll have been pastor of this church for eight years, there'll be 14 years of ministry. In my 14 years of ministry, I have never preached on. It's not because it's not in the Bible, it's just not one of those things I thought we had to worry about. But today, I feel it's a necessity. And here's what we're going to do, all right? Anybody ever tried to give medicine to a kid that didn't taste good? Like, not the kid didn't taste good, the medicine didn't taste good, right? Anybody ever tried to do that, right? Anybody ever warn medicine you tried to give to a kid? Like, it spits back out on you, right? Like, it, they don't want, and they don't understand that they have to have it to make them feel better, but they don't want it. They're, they're thinking about that moment, all right? My guess is that for some of you in this room, today is going to feel a little bit like getting medicine you don't want, all right? And so you're going to hear some things. We're, listen, we're going to talk about judicial debate among Supreme Court justices. And all of God's people said, ugh. All right, ugh. Like, ugh. Let's just, let's all, let's just do that once, okay? So you don't do it the rest of the time. Just go, ugh. Everybody do that, all right? One, two, three. Do it. There we go. So, but this is important stuff, all right? And it's more important by the day. Listen, I didn't care about Supreme Court debates four or five years ago that much. But in the last couple of years, there's some stuff that's a little frightening coming through them. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at an issue here, and then we're going to look at what Scripture says, and then we're going to apply some things to us. All right? So while we were in Los Angeles, and y'all were, most of you were here in Goodlesville, you're visiting family, the Supreme Court made kind of a monumental decision. I mean, there aren't tons of monumental decisions the Supreme Court makes that changes the landscape of the country immediately, but they made a decision that changed the landscape of the country immediately. Now, we were on Hollywood Boulevard when we found all that out. And I just want you to know that they reacted a little bit differently on Hollywood Boulevard than people in Goodlettsville probably reacted. I don't know, I wasn't here, but there was a different kind of reaction. And today, I don't really want to talk about that ruling or even that issue. We're actually going to deal with, with sexuality, same-sex marriage, um, transgender and all of that. We'll deal with that in this series a little bit later. But I want to deal with an issue that for me is more frightening than what the Supreme Court decided that day. And it's what came in the debate before that. And in the debate and all that happened, you know, the way the Supreme Court works is like in March, April, they have all the court, the, the trials and they get all the briefs done and then they ask questions of the lawyers and then they take like three months to put out what they decided. Well, in the debate back then, when the same-sex marriage thing was happening, Judge Samuel Alito, who I know you all know Judge Alito. I know he probably got his fan club in here somewhere. Y'all don't have a clue who he is. I know. All right. This is Justice Alito. And he asked this question. 
He said in the Bob Jones case, now just in case you don't know, Bob Jones is a Christian university on the East Coast. And uh, Bob Jones had this policy for years that said that on campus there could be no interracial dating and they did not admit interracial married couples. They, for, they said it was forbidden. Okay, The court held that a college was not entitled to tax-exempt status if it opposed interracial marriage or interracial dating. Okay, So they said if you oppose it, you have violated the U.S. Constitution, and as a result, you are no longer able to be a tax-free religious institution. Basically, they told him, you do this or you get shut down. And then Justice Alito says, so would the same apply to a university or a college if it opposed same-sex marriage? This is the question he asked, and he's asking the the leader of the government's team that was fighting for same-sex marriage. He says, if this passes and there's a Christian university that denies the truth of same-sex marriage, doesn't provide same-sex couples with housing, doesn't allow same-sex couples into their school, will that be an issue? And this is what the Solicitor General of the United States said. It's certainly going to be an issue. I don't deny that, Justice Alito. It is. It is going to be an issue. You see, what's underneath the Supreme Court decision, we're going to talk about that later. We don't get caught up in same-sex marriage right now, okay? What's underneath that is this concept of something called religious liberty that allows us to act in conscience about what our religious beliefs say. And so we have built this country on the reality that you and I, if we firmly believe something, we ought to be able to live that conviction out in our lives. Now, the thing is, this is already happening. This is already an issue. I've got a picture, I think, next of a young lady. All right. Now, you probably don't know who this is. Her name is Elaine. Her name is Helene. And I, I don't even know how to really pronounce her last name. It's Huguenin. Okay. But she's a wedding photographer in New Mexico. And Elaine, nice young lady, looks, you know, like I'm, I'm sure she takes wonderful pictures. I don't, I don't never seen them, but I'm sure they're great. She was taking wedding pictures, doing all these things. And she got called by a lady wanting her to do her ceremony for a same-sex marriage. And Elaine said that she thought about it. She said, listen, my job is to be here to provide services for the community. I provide services to non-Christians just as well as Christians. I, I understand that part of my job is not to just apply to just people that think like me. But as she thought about it and prayed about it, she said, I just can't do this. I would feel like I'm endorsing it and I can't do that. And so she politely, respectfully called the lady and said, I'm not going to be able to do your wedding. The couple sued her because they didn't, they said she wouldn't provide service for them based on their sexual preferences and that was illegal. And New Mexico agreed. The New Mexico Supreme Court said that Elaine could have her personal beliefs religiously and she could practice those at home or in community of faith. But when she stepped into the arena of business, the phrase they used was the cost of citizenship is she has to set aside her religious beliefs and serve whomever comes her way. In Oregon, there was a couple, and here's the couple. They had a, a bakery 
Aaron and Melissa Klein. And they were asked to do a same-sex wedding ceremony to make a cake. And they, same way, prayed about it, talked about it, respectfully, graciously said no. They were sued by the couple in Oregon for emotional damages. This past week, after the Supreme Court decision, the judge in Oregon did two things. First of all, he awarded the couple $135,000 to be paid by this couple. And secondly, he told them they could not talk about this case or their religious beliefs why they stopped or anything pertaining to same-sex marriage again. Now, here's the thing, okay? I am not Chicken Little, okay? You know who Chicken Little is? Right? Sky's falling. If the world's coming to an end. I'm not that guy. But there's enough of this kind of stuff happening that it makes you stop and have some concern. Right? Let's also be realistic, okay? Most of this stuff is happening in places that are not very close to us. Right? I mean, our state was one of the ones that was in the suit trying to say that we don't have to recognize it and was overturned. And so we're kind of in Nashville, in the buckle of the Bible belt, although that belt is stretched and frayed and not what it once was. But we are naive if we think that these issues are not going to trickle down to us. And here's the thing. It's not even really about whether or not you believe in same-sex marriage. That's not what this issue is about. We'll talk about that, but that's not what this is about. The issue here is, can we in America express our religious beliefs, not just in the privacy of our own home, but in every aspect of our lives? First Peter chapter 2. Here's the question I want to ask today, okay? How do we, as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, react? How do we act? How do we involve our lives when the government or the authorities begin to push against what we believe? First Peter chapter two. And the reason I picked first Peter chapter two, this is a great passage, but it's also because it's a church that's being severely persecuted. This is not what we're talking about. Ridicule. This is not even saying that you got to pay a fine. This is severe persecution, life endangerment happening to the people that Peter is writing to. And he is writing here to them and they're asking the question, how do we, how do we live in a godless, Christless culture? In a government that is set against our faith. How do we live there? We are not there yet. Okay? I say yet. I don't know that we'll ever get there. We may never get to this point. But the question we need to ask is, how do we begin to act in our culture? This is what Peter says to them. First of all, in chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Whether it be emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil... And to praise those who do good. He goes on to say this. For this is the will of God. That by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. But living as servants of God. And then he finishes with this. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, here's what I want to do today, and we're going to do this pretty quickly, and so I need you to kind of follow along with me. But we're going to do two things. First of all, we're going to look at two truths from this passage 
that helps us to understand where we are when it comes to government relations. All right. And the second thing we're going to do is we're going to say, what does the application look like for us because of that? Okay. And so the first thing that we see in this passage, and I don't know if you take notes. I don't know if you write stuff down. I just want to tell you, I don't usually tell you this. This would be a great one to write notes on because there are going to be stuff here that you're going to hear and you're not going to think much about. And then you're going to like two months from now, you're going to hear something on the news like, oh, my gosh, what am I supposed to do with that? All right. Um, I, I had a, at the end of service today, we have some elected officials in our church and I had an elected official come up to me and say to me um, that they are in a position right now of trying to figure out what to do because there are some things being asked of them as elected officials that in good conscience they can't do. And so this issue is here. OK, the first thing we see in this passage is that we are submissive citizens of a government. We are submissive citizens of a government we freely submit to the government that god has placed above us we voluntarily choose to submit to the authority in place this means as christians we can't say well i don't like that guy so i don't have to do what he says well i didn't vote for him so that means i don't have to follow his laws Okay. Now, some of you already got questions in your mind. We'll get there. Okay. But when you start at the basis of it, we are submissive citizens of a government. It's not me saying that. That's Peter right there in chapter two, starting at the very first 13. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Let me ask you a quick question. What does every leave out? Nothing, right? Every human institution, including, he says, the emperor. Now, we don't think of emperors. We don't know about emperors. Emperors in their day were supreme. They could say what they wanted to. They thought of themselves as God. And here's what's really crazy about this passage of Scripture. You and I cannot understand what they were living in. Because the guy that was emperor at this time is a guy that's pretty famous. All right? I think I've got a picture of him right here. Anybody know who that is? Nero. All right? Somebody said Nero back there. All right? This is Nero. Anybody know what Nero's famous for? There are a couple of things he's famous for. One is he fiddled while Rome burned. So Rome burned, and apparently he, the story is he's fiddling. Who knows that, what that means? And so that kind of came into, you're fiddling while Rome burned, came into our culture. We don't use it much anymore, but they used to a lot. And the second thing he was known for was his intense persecution of Christians. You've heard about Christians in the Colosseums with the lions, right? Nero used is a claim. Now, you know, this is from sources that when he would have a party outside, they didn't have electricity. And the only way to light it was through lighting things on fire. He would dip Christians in oil and then hang them and light them on fire to light the way for people. I mean, this isn't I'm going to take away your tax exempt status. This is you're going to burn. And Peter says that we are to be submissive. To everyone, even in case they missed it, the emperor. Can I tell you something? When we don't get our way, we're not good at this. Honestly, none of us are good at it when we don't get our way, right? We came home from Los Angeles. My girls had been with my parents and Susan's dad for a week and a half. Do you know what happened for them for a week and a half? They got every single thing they wanted. 
Like they went to the chop house to eat. My parents don't go to the chop house to eat when I'm here. Right? Like, oh, the prices were really good. I'm sure they were. I'm, they're good all the time. Let's go, right? And when we got back about 45 minutes in, something happened and one of the girls didn't get what they wanted. And Susan and I both kind of looked at each other and said, it's re-education time. Right? Can I get an amen out there, parents? We love you, grandparents, but stop spoiling our kids, all right? It's like re-education time. But the thing is, we don't grow up very much, and when we don't get what we want, we're the same way. In big matters, though, God says, submit. It's like taking that medicine when you're a kid. That doesn't feel good going down. If Peter was the only one to say this, we might could say, okay, that's Peter. Let's kind of look over that. But there are other guys that said it, one primarily named Jesus. Right? This is what Jesus says in Matthew. Pharisees went and plotted to entangle him in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with Herodians and saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. How many times can you say true, right? You do not care about anyone's opinion. Man, I wish that was true of me. For you're not swayed by appearances. So we got a question for you, Jesus, and here's their question. Tell us then, what do you think? <laughs> Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This is what they were saying. Jesus, you know that Caesar guy. He doesn't like us. He doesn't like our religion. And he puts overburdensome taxes on us. He taxes us at a higher rate than people that should be taxed at a higher rate. We don't like our tax bracket. Jesus, do we have to pay those taxes? Any of you ever been doing your taxes or talk to your attorney, your, uh, your got CPA that does it for you? Or you're doing it yourself and you look at that line and you're like, whoo. Man, what I could do with that money, right? Amen. I got a strong one there. But Jesus, aware of the malice, said, Hey, you bunch of hypocrites, why are you doing me to the test? Show me a coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, all right, a day's labor. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said, It's Caesar's. And Jesus says, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. He says, pay your taxes. Do what the government asks of you. Obey the authorities that God has placed over you. Do what you're supposed to do to be good citizens in this culture. Be submissive to the government you have. Jesus and Peter aren't the only two. If you want to get the third big one out of the New Testament, we'll get Paul. How about that? Paul in Romans 13 says this, let every person, who's every person? Everyone. Does every person include you? Y'all weren't as excited about that one. Be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, resist the authorities, resist what God has appointed to do. We are submissive citizens of our government. Here's the second truth that this passage teaches. We are free servants of God. This is what the passage says right here. It says, live as people who are free. Now, just real quickly for us to make sure we're on the same page. This is not talking about religious governmental freedom. Jesus is not saying live as if you're free in your society. They were not free in their society. This is talking about spiritually. We have been set free from the penalty and the punishment 
and the power of sin in our lives. We have been spiritually released. And as a result, we need to live with the confidence that we have from Christ, that we are on his team and his side. He has saved us. He has rescued us. Live boldly with love and compassion and truth in front of the people that are surrounding you and look for you. Live as people who are free. And what he means by that is this. It does not matter whether or not your government gives you religious freedom because they are not the ultimate deciders of freedom. Your freedom, our freedom, all freedom eventually, eternally, ultimately comes from God Almighty. It does not matter if the U.S. government passed a law tomorrow that said that you can no longer speak publicly about the cause of Christ. I don't think that's coming. I'm just saying it does not matter because our freedom doesn't come ultimately from them. It comes from God. Right? Now, how do we know that? We know that because God has been granting religious liberty from the very beginning. And we speak about religious liberty not because it's a political issue. Can I tell you something? I have absolutely no interest in giving political speeches. And all of God's people said, I don't care about that. Listen, I don't have any desire to ever be in the political realm. I pastor a church. That is hard enough for me. Y'all don't seem to believe that, but it is. I mean, y'all put up with me and I put up with you, but that's not easy. All right. I have any desire to now be a politician. And so this is not a political speak. We, we do this not because it's a political issue. We speak about religious liberty because it is an issue of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the very beginning, you know, there's that whole creation in chapter one of Genesis, right? What's chapter two about? Who comes on the scene in chapter two? The, the, here's a hint. The first two people in the Bible are. Adam and Eve, all right? And Adam and Eve come on the scene. And what does God do? He says, I'm going to now force you into the religion and to worship me because I'm forcing you into that. Is that what he does? No, what does he do? He gives them a choice. He gives them religious liberty to decide. We live as people who are free. We fight for people who are free. Our government is given to hold back evil and to help us to promote good. And what he's telling us there is because we are free, we are free to do good so that we can silence those that try to argue against us. You remember Daniel, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, and I also our, our youth and adults led the kids in Bible study through Daniel while we were in. Um, Los Angeles. You remember Daniel when, when they wanted to accuse him of something and they looked and they looked and they looked and they couldn't find anything. You remember that? He's saying live out of the freedom, out of your service to God. Live a life that they can't find anything wrong with you except that you live for God. We are submissive citizens of a government. We live as free people of God. And the end of this passage gives us the application right out of that. And here's the application. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. First thing he says is honor everyone, especially your leaders. Why don't we say especially your leaders? Because he says honor everyone. He gives two more points. And then in case they miss it, he says honor 
Nero. Now, he didn't put Nero there because we would look at it and go, we don't have to honor Nero. He's not around anymore. Honor your leaders. If Peter called the believers of that day and time to honor a man who is lighting them on fire to light the way to his palace, we can honor people that might disagree with us on political issues and maybe even push agendas that we think aren't godly. It doesn't mean we agree with them. It doesn't mean that we say that everything they're doing is right, but we can honor them in the midst of it. You see, this goes back to what I talked about a minute ago. The reason that we fight for religious liberty is not because it's a political issue. It's a gospel issue. And the issue is that every human being on earth ought to have the right to seek out and to search who God is for themselves. And that's why, secondly, not only do we fight for that, we, we, we fight for religious liberty for everyone. Not just for us as Christians, but for everyone. I believe that in a free society, people, I think Scripture teaches us because God allows people to make decisions, that we allow people to make decisions about Buddhism and about Islam and about other religions that we wouldn't agree with. And the truth is, part of the reason that doesn't bother me at all, that we have religious liberty for everyone. That's why sometimes if you look, and I'm sure none of you in this room do, but I do, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention that fights for these issues in Washington, they will post about victories that a Muslim won in being able to wear a beard in the workplace because of their religious preferences and beliefs. And they'll cheer that, and we're glad the Muslim won. And you're like, why is the Southern Baptist cheering the Muslim? Because in a free society where everyone gets to choose, here's the thing. I think we got the best story. And I know we got the only one that's true. And so I don't fear that. I want people to be engaged and able to believe what they believe deeply held religious beliefs. Because here's the thing. Part of that honoring everyone is this. I believe that every single human being on this earth has the capacity to accept the love and grace of Jesus Christ into their lives that will eternally change who they are. And so we honor them. I don't know who he is, but I believe that the head of the organization known as ISIS deserves honor Because he is a human being created in the image of God who has the capacity to give his heart and his soul and his life to Jesus Christ. Have you seen some of the stories? They're on Facebook. I don't know how, I I haven't verified it. I haven't asked the guy this. Have you seen the stories about the executioner from ISIS that is being convicted about Christianity because of the way the people honored them even as they were being beheaded? We honor our leaders. We honor every single person. If you are vehemently opposed to same-sex marriage, you still honor those people that fight for it because they are people created in the image of God who have the ability to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and be eternally transformed into His kingdom. You honor the government leaders that we have, no matter what actions they take that are disappointing and against what you believe, because they are people created in the image of God who have the ability to change their life by accepting the free gift of grace that Jesus Christ has provided. And so we want everyone to have the freedom to choose. The second point of emphasis was not just to 
honor everyone. The second one is to care for the church. Can I tell you something? For many years in the United States, it has, especially in this part of the country, it has not been vital to your survival to be intimately involved in a local body of believers in a church. People jump churches all the time. They move around all the time. It hasn't been vital to kind of be with a group of people. I firmly believe, and it may be sooner than I think, but my children's generation for sure, it's going to be vitally important for them to be a part of a group of believers that are taking care of each other. If you look in the New Testament, sometimes we look at the New Testament and say, I wish we could get back to being a New Testament church. Here's the reality. Most of us don't want that because the reason the New Testament church was the New Testament church was the spirit of God was moving. Yes, but there were external circumstances causing them to help one another that were causing them people that had lost jobs because of their faith or being supported. People that could give more were giving more. They were literally living in homes together because they couldn't afford things on their own. They were people that had to have each other for their emotional, financial, physical well-being. That has been an add-on for us. It's been nice, but not necessary. A day, I believe, is coming in this country unless God sends a revival that sweeps this nation when we are going to need each other more than we have ever needed each other. You care for the church. And here's the last one. You fear God. Here's what I want you to know. I think these are in ascending order. So the least importance first, honor everyone. The most is care for the church. And then this is the most. You fear God. And here's what that means. That means as submissive citizens of a government, you obey your government unless they ask you to disobey your God. In my first service this morning, the first service I was preaching, and I said that many of you in this room had grown up, and I don't know if you all know this or not, but that's generally our older skewing service. And I said, many of you in this room are north of 40, which they all thought was funny because many of them are well north of 40. And I asked this question, how many of you in this room ever thought this would even have to be considered in our country? But here's the truth. In places, it already is. Just in the decisions that were, we showed at the beginning and, and just in the reality. I mean, we have people in this church. I know people in our my circle of friends that are wedding photographers that decisions are going to have to be made. I know people working in county clerk offices that decisions are going to have to be made. I know people that are bakers and have businesses that decisions are going to have to be made now here because of a ruling that Supreme Court made. The reason that, remember that, remember the... Uh, Supreme Court justice and the attorney discussion. The reason that's so important is there very well may come a day when they say to us at First Baptist Goodlettsville, you cannot have services or you cannot have church weddings unless you allow same sex couples to be a part of that. They may say to me as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel that is a license by the state of Tennessee to perform marriages, you cannot perform marriages in this state unless you agree to perform same-sex marriages. And I just want you to know that if, as long as I'm the leader here, and as long as, I, as, long as, as, long as I'm the leader here, if they come to us and says, we're going to pull your tax-exempt status, you will no longer be a tax-exempt religious organization unless you recognize and involve yourselves in same-sex marriages, then I will just say we are no longer a tax-exempt religious organization. 
And I really, here, here's the thing, I don't really say that to get a lot of amens because there's a lot more kind of shade and discussion and all that that we're going to have on that whole topic in a couple of weeks. And I, I don't want that to be the soundbite that you walk out of here with. But it, there just comes moments, if they say to me, you can't be licensed in the state of Tennessee, then I will no longer do weddings. I'll do weddings, but I just won't do weddings licensed by the state of Tennessee. And that's not the only issue. It's just the most prevalent one right now. But if it comes to obeying your God or obeying your government, you obey your God. And here's the last part. This is the last bit of application. The other way we fear God is we cherish and exercise our freedom. No country in the history of humanity at a long time has ever experienced the freedom to worship and celebrate our God like this country has for now 239 years. That's good, right? The problem is most of us haven't been exercising that freedom. And my prayer is that we would be a people that boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone is around us. And if our government passed a law tomorrow that says you can no longer do that, that we would fiercely continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone around us. If they were to pass that law tomorrow or next year, we would celebrate the 239 years of freedom and we would march forward into proclaiming the gospel into a new era when we are not welcome to say. I don't think that's happening. I'm not chicken little. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to say all that. I don't think I'm going to jail tomorrow for preaching this message. All right. But I do think that if this is going to turn around, two things have to happen. First and foremost, above anything else, God Almighty has to decide to send favor upon his people in this country. And he has to send revival through our spirits and our lives and our churches into this land. And the second thing that has to happen is we have to take seriously the fact that we have freedom and not just talk about it, but exercise it. I'm convicted all the time. I, I, I read their websites called Open Open Doors, a uh, website called um, Voice of the Martyrs that talk about persecution all over the globe. You, you hear about Pastor Saeed that's over in Iran getting persecuted daily for his faith, getting transferred from prison to prison because of his faith. And I am just appalled at how many opportunities I let pass by because I'm scared someone will reject me when those people are being beaten for their faith. And while I was celebrating the country that I love last night with those fireworks, I was convicted in my heart about my lack of faithfulness in exercising the freedom that God has given me in this place. We cherish it. We love it. We celebrate it. We fight for it for every American. And then we exercise it in telling people about our Savior. That's the bad taste in medicine. There's some facts that aren't really fun to look at. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. We're going to talk over the next few weeks about abortion. We're going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about race reconciliation and the church's past with that and what we can do to help heal. We're going to talk about poverty. And every one of those is going to have some harsh realities we have to face. And then we have to be willing to do what God calls us to do. So here's my question. Are you willing to honor everyone, to care for the set of believers that you're a part of? And are you willing to cherish and exercise the freedom God has given you and obey him rather than man no matter the cost?
Let's pray together.